Welcome, everybody. My name is Pav Bryan. I am Performance Director and Co-Founder here at Spokes, and you are listening to Bespoke, the cycling and triathlon training podcast. Now, I'm delighted to be joined by someone who actually is an incredible inspiration and uh, is uh, has got some some targets not not too unsimilar to, to what I might want to do in the future. So I'm uh, delighted to introduce uh, James Golding. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you very much. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, thank you for giving up your time. We're going to be talking uh, a lot about uh, uh, fighting adversity, going against all odds, and how to remain focused uh, when everything seems uh, like it could just be impossible to achieve. Um, no doubt, a lot of our uh, listeners, regular listeners, will have um, heard of you and probably know your story. But let's just go through um, your background and obviously your your epic inspirational story. Yeah, I think um, the the story's kind of got longer and longer over time, and it was I think where we where we're at now was never some big grand master plan. Um, and we've we've just had an anniversary actually last week, and it's funny because my my head goes a bit funny. Um, just un, not planned or thought about. I just go into a slightly strange place. But uh, 11 years ago, this weekend just gone, um, I walked out of hospital um, for the first time um, since uh, being in there for just shy of six months. Um, basically, November 2008, uh, I was diagnosed with um, an 11 and a half centimetre abnormal mass wedged between my spine, kidney and bowel, um, which... Doctors said it was an abnormal mass, but we believe it to be cancer. Um, so we went down a, a biopsy route and they then diagnosed me what was with what was called a primary repetineal seminoma. Um, basically, it was about the size of a very large grapefruit. Although the way that I the way that I often describe it is, is if you remember the rulers that you used to have in your pencil case when you were at, at school, the kind of the half size ones, they're about 15 centimeters. So it was just shy of one of those rulers um wedged in between my spine kidney and bowel uh, because of where it was it was unoperable so we needed to go down um, a chemotherapy route and monitor the situation so that was uh november the 13th that i was diagnosed uh, i started chemotherapy probably um four to six weeks after that by february 2009 i'd gone from 14 stone to six stone um, lost the ability to walk and was given less than 5% chance of survival prior to going into an emergency operation, which took um, four surgeons six hours at midnight on a Friday to keep me alive. And I then spent another two weeks in an induced coma in intensive care. Coming out of there, um, I had to relearn how to walk. I had to relearn how to do everything. Basically, I, I woke up in intensive care not knowing where I was or how I got there. And I had 14 stitches in my stomach. I had um, my part of my bowel had been brought out onto the surface. I'd got two tubes in my, um, in my right hand side. I'd got two tubes in my left hand side. I had one in my back, two cannulas in each arm. Um, there was one at my nose, one in my throat. Um, and I had no idea how I'd got there. I had no memory or recollection of it whatsoever. And that was, that was the start of a very long road to recovery um, or, or actually it was a long road to, to recovery and then on to growth. Cause if it was about recovery, then I recovered pretty quickly. Really. Um, it was where I then went after that, but I, I cycled across America in 2010 as a, as a challenge to give back to charity. 
um, and was hit by a truck two thirds of the way. So this is kind of this is a bit of the elevator pitch because there's quite a lot to this now. Um, but I went back to America in 2011 um, and did three and a half thousand miles in 24 days to find out I was going to be a father, which I was told was never going to happen to then being diagnosed with cancer again, um, to then going through more surgery, more chemo, more radiotherapy, to later going on to breaking a world record. And, and now we've got our sights set on some a pretty big challenge over the next sort of 18 months. Fantastic. Just a quick question. The 5% chance, were you told that before going in or was that something they told you afterwards? <laughs> no, they told me that afterwards. Good. Um, nobody, <laughs> my mum my told me that um, nobody would tell her that I was going to be okay. So none of the doctors, none of the the, the 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 surgeons, none of the nurses. Whenever she she asked, she tells me that she asked the question repeatedly. I have no memory of it, but she asked the question repeatedly: "Is he going to be okay? Is he going to be okay?" And none of them would say he will be okay. It was always a case of um, they'll do what they can, they'll do their best. Um, and actually, the five percent came about when I went to see my surgeon for a, a regular checkup. And I took him one of the posters for riding across America and I'd put on there um, 9% chance of surviving. And he was like, where did you get nine from? And I was like, well, it was about nine, wasn't he? He was like, no, you didn't have 9% chance of survival. I was like, what, was it, was it better than that? And he was like, no. <laughs> I was like, what, eight? Was, no. Seven? No. And he went, you had about 5% chance of making it. And I was like, right, okay. Um, that was a bit of a bit of a kicker, really. Um and he actually then turned around to me and said, if you hadn't have been as young as you were and as fit as you were when you came in, we'd have put you in the corner and made you comfortable. And <laughs> so, you know, and I, I still, I have a great relationship with Phil now. Uh, Phil Barragwanath was the guy who, who operated. And 24th of February every year, we, we have a, we get, we, each of us get a drink and we sit down and have a phone call. And no matter where I am in the world, I've rang him from, Spain, Mallorca, France. I've rang him from the States of wherever, 24th of February, without fail. We have a, a real good chat about it and we still keep in touch now. And, and he often sends me messages and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it um, seems like a long time ago, but it seems like yesterday at the same time. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I'm glad that uh, so many, so much positive has come out from such a bleak, uh, bleak situation. I, uh, what was your life like before you were first diagnosed? Before they found that first tumor, were you were you much of an endurance athlete before then? No, not at all. Um, I mean, I used to I used to race mountain bikes as a kid back in the um, back in the mid to late nineties, um, and and I I really enjoyed racing cross country and downhill. Um, but I stopped when I was just over 17 and was in a situation of needing to, um, as I was told, get a proper job. Um, and um, I never, I got rid of everything. I didn't touch a bike. I'd smashed my shoulder up and, and that, that hurt a lot. But coming off the back of that, I probably couldn't ride quite as well as, as I had done previously um, or wanted to. Um, and then was told to get a proper job and I completely detached myself from the sport and went into working and um, I went into a state agency but worked my way th quickly through to new homes and development and then through into the investment, uh, set a couple of companies up and owned my own company when I was, well, just as the crash hit and then um, in 2007 and then um, kind of went back to my original trade when I left school, which was, which was plastering and uh, was suffering with bad back pain and that was when 
I went to see the doctor and they told me that everything was okay. Um, I went to see my chiropractor who told me everything wasn't okay. My back was, was perfect, but there was something, something else was wrong. And it was then that we kind of pushed the point and we went through the usual channels of being ignored um, until one night my mum took me to A&E and I was admitted within about an hour. <laughs> um, I think I, I, I remember ringing my mum and saying to her, it hurts a lot more than it, than it has done ever before. Um, and she said, do you want me to take you to A&E? And I said, no, just let's leave it for a little while. Basically, I was getting this back pain kicking in kind of just after midnight, generally speaking, just as you're sort of calming down, relaxing, kind of in bed. You know, and then all of a sudden, I'm in quite agony and in the fetal position. And then it got to the point of where I was taking a lot of painkillers to, to even be able to get out the door. I went to see the doctor who told me it was muscle pain and gave me some strong painkillers. And I went back to see him again and he gave me some stronger painkillers. And we weren't getting anywhere. And, and it wasn't until I then found what felt like a lump um, next to one of the generals, as I call them in the school talks, which which always gets uh, gets an interesting response from a sports hall full of boys. Um, and they then sent me for some bloods. I got referred to a specialist, but I was told I was going to need to wait eight weeks to see this specialist. And my mum then found out about that when she hit the roof. She then rang the specialist and it was his secretary that said, well, if your son's that bad, madam, why don't you take him to A&E? And it was a couple of nights after that that mum then took me to A&E. And um, wow. yeah, I, I remember walking into A&E with my mum and spotting a seat over in the corner and mum said, go and sit down. And I, by the time I'd gone over and sat down, I looked up and there was somebody there with a wheelchair. And this this waiting room was full. You know, it was, it was heaving. This was Coventry City. So there was people everywhere. But... I don't know whether I dozed off or whether I'd just gone for a minute, but I looked up and there was somebody there and that was then, they took me straight through to triage. And then I spent from then, which was, that was the 11th of November. Um, and then from there, right the way through to um, kind of the 17th of April, the following year, I was in hospital pretty much. Wow. It's, uh, it's an incredible story. Um, I mean, all of this, all of this happens to you. What is it that makes you go, you know what, I'm going to ride a bike. I'm going to I'm going to become an ultra endurance athlete. I never wanted to become an ultra endurance athlete. Um that was never that was never the plan. So that's what I mean by kind of you know and I'm I'm quite honest about it. You know, I'm where I am now in in terms of what we're doing and and the goals we've set. It kind of happened by accident. You know, it was never um it wasn't a case of laying in hospital and saying, "Right, okay, I'm here. I need to learn how to walk. I need to learn how to eat." But the grand master plan is that when I'm able to do this, this is what we're going to go on to achieve. That was that was never, I you know I can't even say it was a twinkle in the corner of my eye because it it wasn't. Um, it was about survival, and then that led to recovery. And I picked a bike up that was in the corner of my house one day, which was owned by one of my lodgers. Um, there's there's other mechanics in this to um, being told that you're okay now and go back to normal to going back to the life that I had. So I kind of say to people that I. I pretty much lived a lie from uh, 97, 98, right the way through to 2008-ish. And what I mean by that was that I I worked hard, I partied very hard, um, and my life was very much about material objects. It was about the car I was driving, it was about the phone I had, it was about the suit I wore. It was about the watches that I owned, the pen that I had. It was all about how many houses I'd got and how many more I wanted to own and what TV. It was, it was, 
and and that's probably exaggerated slightly in the way that I've put that, but it was very focused on the things that I want my success and the the industry and the people that I was surrounded by was very much based on what you had and what you could have. Um, and I was, and I, I don't mind admitting it wasn't until I was told to go back to normal. And after a couple of months of going out, seeing people who hadn't even come to see me in hospital, spending time with people who I hadn't really missed, who clearly hadn't really missed me to sit in there on a Sunday morning or afternoon, absolutely hung over and thinking something's not right about this. This, this just doesn't, it doesn't feel right. And over the course of several weeks or months, it felt less right for want of better English um, of, of the way things were. And there was a guy living at my house there were two guys living at my house. One of them was one that I was going out partying with. And one of them was very into his fitness, used to sponsor me um, when I raced mountain bikes. And he was on about doing something for charity on a mountain bike. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't go back to work, but I wanted to go back to work, but I wasn't well enough to go back to work, but I wanted to try and get out of this cycle that I was in. And then one day I rang him and said, can I borrow your road bike? He was like, yeah, why? So I just want to go to Drake and I just want to go for a ride. So I took his bike down to Drake Water, which is in rugby, and it's five miles around the outside. And I rode round it, and um, there was definitely a tear in the corner of my eye all the way around. I hadn't felt that free for such a long time. You know, I, I, I struggled to walk 500 yards. I struggled to walk up the stairs. I'd, I'd walk into town and get something to eat which isn't far from where I lived in rugby. I'd, I'd walk into town, so probably half a mile most, maybe a mile and a half there and back if you walk around town a little bit. Um, and then I'd sleep all afternoon. But I got on this bike and it was this element of freedom and the wind going through what hair I had at the time to travelling such a vast, what felt like such a vast distance in comparison to what I'd previously been used to travelling. Um, and it, it ruined me. I sat in the in the van for probably as long as it took me to ride round, trying to recover to be able to have that energy to even ride home, so drive home. I went back and I did it again, and it didn't hurt, or it wasn't quite as hard as it was the first time. And I went back and did it again, and the third time it was easier, and then I did it twice, and I was back to where I was the first time I did it, in the van sitting there trying to recover. But again, it, it got easier the more I did it, to then realising that actually I can now ride to my mum's house which is 10 miles away or to the bike shop in Daventry and I could ride home but I can sit there and have a coffee if I'm not in any fit state to be able to ride home and it kind of went from there of doing this bit extra to then kind of going actually maybe something for charity to give back to the people that had been there to support me and help me wouldn't be a bad idea and that was when I started looking at different challenges and all these things that I wanted to do I looked at the Rocky Mountain Challenge and I looked at the Midwest Challenge, which were all kind of six days riding, but they didn't feel like challenges to me. I, I'm not I'm not slating anything that anybody does for charity, but for me, six days riding a bike was nothing compared to weighing six stone, being unable to lift your head off a pillow, you know? Um, and I, I just looked around and couldn't really couldn't find anything that was doing it for me. And we then decided that America, a friend of mine wanted to ride across America or somebody I knew wanted to ride across America and I decided to do it with them and it became our challenge. And from there, it kind of went to a point of 
wanting to raise more money so the challenge needed to be bigger to wanting to raise more money so the challenge needed to be bigger um to then somebody going well actually if you can ride that distance then that's a world record to then riding that world record and not achieving it and kind of being further back you know there's this whole this this whole story really there's a lot in there you know of, of moving forward and coming back and moving forward um to the second time we went for the world record we did get it that i went back to you know the first time i went across america i got hit by a truck <laughs> um two-thirds of the way across just outside new orleans um so I never wanted to be an endurance athlete. I never wanted to be an ultra endurance athlete. That was never the plan. It was just that we slowly did these things and more and more of them came together and the mileage got bigger. And then somebody's turning around and going, you're really good at this. Um, and I think a lot of that is probably to do with my subconscious takes me back to Wayne six stone, been unable to lift my own head off the pillow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, given given the like the chances of survival that you've been given, the 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 couple of times that you've been diagnosed and then getting hit by trucks and stuff, do you ever did you ever at all ever think that you would ever get to where you are right now? Um, at a certain point, so post post twenty sixteen, um, yes, yeah, I did, and that's not me trying to sound arrogant. Um, that is that um, up until. So the, the, the darkest time of, of all of this for me was probably between 2014 and well, it was between 2014 um, and the end of 2016. That was that was a really, really dark part of my life. And it was not nice. It was putting a square peg in a round hole. It was almost losing my family to really being very unhappy with who I was to some days not even wanting to get out of bed to not wanting to get out of bed and my wife saying, you have to, to eventually my little boy um, drawing a picture of the whole family and the only person that wasn't smiling on that picture was daddy. And my wife saying, I can't do this because if this is what Freddie's outlook is going to be on life, then I can't do it because he needs more than that. He needs better than that. Um, and it was it was at that point that I started to get the help I probably should have got a long time ago but it was also then that I started to become more calculated in what we were doing I'd met a lot of people along this journey pro riders pro triathletes um some really very very um good athletes and as I say some very good pro riders along the way who were going you've got this massive engine James that I can't sit with you over four hours because you just come to life and when I rode across America, I, I went better the harder it was in some respects. Um, and the more I did, the fitter I became. But I'm not massively fast, but I can sit at 18 miles an hour for 22 hours a day. So what then kind of came out of it was me going, OK, I need to go back for the world record, Lou. You know, it was a case of sitting down with Louise and saying, Lou, I, I, I need to go for race across America because... Actually, if we look at the time that we've been happiest is, is actually when I had some challenges. I was doing the speaking. I was working with kids in schools. And there was some direction in what I was doing and where I wanted to go. And at the moment, I don't have any of that. I'm consulting for a couple of charities. I'm being rang every day of the week when we're meant to be doing two days a week for them. I'm being pulled in 20 different directions. And I don't, I, I, I can't handle this. This isn't working for me. I need something that I have some goals at. And actually, I can't have all of these people turn around to me and say I'm as good as I am 
and look at race across America and go, could I do race across America? Could I be somebody that was good at race across America? Um, I never wanted to just do race across America. I always wanted to do it and be good at it. Um, but first we had to go for the seven day world record, which 2014 we went for it and I didn't get it. I did 1100 miles in four days. Um, and it was off the back of that, the, this spiral then starts. I didn't know it at the time, but it was off the back of not achieving that record that I then started to spiral and started to kind of fall into a, an abyss, I suppose. And, um, it was then sitting down with Lou and saying, I want to go for race across America. Let's put two years into this. Um, and if I can't achieve the things that I, that I want to try and achieve, then I'll go back to plastering if that's what I have to do. But first of all, we've got to get the seven day world record, which we went for in 2017. I put together a crew and, um, that crew has now grown and follows through. We did race across the West last year. Um, and we were meant to be doing Race Across America this year. Of course, and obviously uh, uh, coronavirus has put a stop to all of that, and uh, are you going to do it online? I saw that uh, Race Across America no. would do you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, Sorry, I've been I'm not asked. even going to let you finish that question. Cause... <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was asked if I wanted to do a two-up with one of my clients on, online, and I pretty much said exactly the same thing. Um <laughs> I know I I can train I can train at um at home uh, and on on Zwift or RGT or anything like that. I have no problems with it, but doing something that long is uh, is is mind boggling to me. Um, I guess yeah. I, I guess let's let's talk a little bit more about your world record. You you talked about it a few times, but it's the the most amount of mileage in seven days. Is that right? Yeah, it's a Guinness world record, so it's not the ultra marathon record. Which uh, there's there's different rule sets for the two, but this is the Guinness world record, which which in in basic terms means that you have to ride a normal road bike for as long as you can within or for as far as you can within a seven day period without drafting and without any like hand ups from the car or or anything like that so it's a standard you say standard road bike um uci approved road bike is the is the correct terminology um because what is a standard road bike nowadays uh so uci approved road bike and if you start at seven o'clock on a Monday morning, you basically have until 6.59 um, the following Monday morning to be able to achieve as many miles as you can. Um, and we did uh, 1,766.2. And as Fantastic. I always say, 0.2 miles is a very long way at uh, two o'clock in the morning on a Sunday after you've just ridden 1,766 miles. <laughs> <laughs> How many miles is that on day? I'm trying to work it out in my head. Uh, it works out it, it's about 245 250 oh nice very good yeah that's good well done uh congratulations so i, I presume that's still your world record uh no so the guy that i um the guy that i took it off has just broken it um right. he did he did three three thousand three hundred and thirty three kilometers in seven days um in thailand um in february so um he's regained it at the moment um to be honest i think something that i've learned over time and um maybe digressing very slightly but something that i've that i've kind of learned throughout all of this and i suppose it's probably one of the 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 key things i've learned is that no matter what you do you can you can in many cases become better at it um and it's something that we've all done throughout all of our lives but we get to a certain point of where we kind of turn around and go, there's no way I could do that. You go, well, 
yeah, you could. And you go, no, 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 I couldn't. You go, well, no, you could. Why, why do you think that you couldn't do that? We forget actually everything that we've had to achieve to get to where we are now. We forget about all the obstacles that we've overcome. And actually some of the biggest obstacles in our lives, we overcame them when we had no knowledge, when we had no experience to fall back on, when we had nobody around us to really help us, teach us and guide us in doing that. So the one that I always pull on is walking. Take walking, for example. (laughs) It's the thing that you take for granted that pretty much everybody can do in some shape, form or fashion. And we learned to do that when we were nine, nine, 10, 11 months old. We picked ourselves up on a bit of furniture and we fell over. We picked ourselves up on another bit of furniture and we fell over. We then picked ourselves up and walked a step and fell over. And we now call it walking and we do it in the middle of the night when we're half asleep. Some people struggle with it on a Saturday evening, but generally speaking, we're all pretty good at being able to walk. And we've mastered that over a period of time, whether it's eating, getting dressed, whether it's doing your shoelaces, driving a car. Most of us have become better at the things we do. When when we were at school, we became better at writing because we did more of it. We became better at sums because we did more of it. You know, swimming, we did more of, we became better at it because we did more of it. All of these things are around us. There's so many inspirations that we've all achieved ourselves. And what we did with the seven day world record was when we achieved it, we sat down afterwards and went, how could we make it better? And we analysed what we'd done. We analysed what we did on the first the first challenge. And we made changes on the first challenge in 2014 to go for the one in 2017, which enabled us to get it in 2017. So then when we sat down in 2017 and said, OK, you're riding for 14 hours a day, you're sleeping for four hours a day, we're losing six hours a day. How are we losing six hours a day? Well, our stops were taking too long or we were taking too long getting out in the morning or I'd stop at the side of the road. I'd pull the guys over and stop and I'd sit there for a minute and I'd be on my phone for five minutes just looking at social media and what have you. And then I'd go, oh, I'll tell you what, guys, I'll have a sandwich whilst I'm here. To, oh, I'll tell you what, I'll have something else to eat. To riding off up the road and going, oh, I need a jacket. Hold on, guys, pull over. Um, I need a jacket. And you all of a sudden you go, well, actually, at the average speeds that we were achieving – If we narrowed down that loss of six hours, even to just three hours or three and a half hours. So let's let's say that we gain another three and a half hours riding. That puts us another 100K. And that's just from being more efficient with turning around and saying, "Okay, guys, I'm going to stop down the road in two miles. I need a sandwich. I need two new bottles and I need a jacket. And then not look at your phone. And that changeover can be so much quicker. So it just becomes about being more efficient with your time and you, the time that you're wasting. Like how many times do you go to the gym and actually you go into the gym and you spend too too long talking to everybody else or you're doing your exercise or you're doing your sets, but instead of having a 30-second gap between your sets, you're actually having a minute and a half. And all of a sudden you're getting close to the time that you're thinking, I've got to go, I need to be somewhere else. Or, you know, it, it's just about being more constructive with what you're doing. And we realise that actually... And we believe that we can get 3,500 kilometers out of a week. That's our next, that's the next goal. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I guess you sort of touched a bit on this throughout, but what's, what keeps you going? What is it? What's that driving motivation? Um, I think there's a, there's a number of things. Um, 
this riding a bike is still very much therapy. It's still very much release. It's still escape. It's still, I can, I can get on a bike and sounds a bit cliche, but I, I get on a bike, my pedals clip in and the world is behind me. That's it. It's it. I can process everything. I can think about the things that, that I want to think about and that I need to think about. Um, so the, there is an element of that. There is also an element now of when we did that seven day world record, um, we shared the data um, from that with a number of, of at the time, very high up people at British cycling um, proven, proven coaches in cycling um, and have achieved amazing things with, with other amazing athletes. Um, and they're kind of looking at it and they're going, so one day in particular was, um, I think it was, I've, I've got a photo of it somewhere, but it was, it was around 17 hours riding. Um, we'll take that. Okay. Well, let's take the, the, the last day on uh, race across the West. So race across the West, which is 930 miles, which we did in June last year. And on the final day, I rode 329 miles in 18 hours with an average heart rate of 108. Impressive stuff. Impressive you know, stuff. So yeah. when you when you then look at that data and you then certain people get hold of that and they go, okay, with data like this, you don't you're not just somebody that could do race across America, you're somebody that could win race across America, and you kind of go, okay, that wasn't the plan, <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't really the intention, but if you really think that and I look at your history and that's your belief. Um, then I'm going to take that and I'm going to run with it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to run with it as as much as I can. So I think there's there's been a number of driving factors that riding a bike will always be part of my life. Um, race across America, I can't get to a certain point in my life of where I wonder if. Um, so I've shared that dream with friends, colleagues, family. Um, your team isn't just the nine people that will be on the race with me all the 15 people that in whole are involved in pulling all of this together. It's Louise, it's Freddie, you know, Louise is very, um, okay. Race across America. I'm good for you going for race across America, but you're only going for it once. Um, and that's kind of, I've got a little boy that's eight. I've got a little girl that's two. Um, we want to set up a cycling camp over in Portugal and that's kind of, you now have to kind of stop being or, the, or another way of putting it is riding a bike has been and, and raising money for charity is and has been 70, 75, 80% of my life. The other 20 to 30% is family and fitting other stuff in around it. But that's, that's just because of, of how I've been. Um, that needs to switch the other way. So that needs to, that needs to go the other way and actually, um, having guests out here and doing guiding and riding with them is work. But when I'm off the bike, I need to be off the bike and I need, the bike needs to be in the garage and I need to be playing on the PlayStation or cooking with my little boy or taking him out running. Although I run like a chicken, but mm-hmm. um, you know, taking him surfing and it just needs to switch in that other direction. So the, the whole therapy and process and everything has been a big driving part in it. Getting that world record changed a lot of things and the structure that we have um, in terms of the support that we need to be able to achieve race across America. It's, you know, Ram is not, Ram, Ram is not for the faint hearted in terms of ability um, or size of checkbook. Um, 
So you need outside assistance with the, with the checkbook side of things. And actually achieving the seven day world record um, allowed us to kind of start talking to people about my story, our plans um, and us sharing that on a wider platform, which has in turn um, enabled us to get the funding and stuff that we need to be able to go and do it. Fantastic. So th- there is an end. There is an end to it. There is there is an end plan. Um, it's just when that end plan falls into place at the moment. Fantastic, awesome. And um, before we before we start to wrap up and give the listeners some uh, some advice, um, tell us a little bit about the charity. How much money have you raised so far? Was that one charity? Is it multiple charities? Yeah, so it's multiple charities that I've that I've done stuff with now. Um, I've done stuff with Macmillan. I've done stuff with Cancer Research. Um, I've worked with um, a couple of uh, children's charities. Um, I've worked with Action Medical. I've worked with um, B&Q, who have done stuff with UK Youth. Um, I've worked with a company called Aaron Estates, um, who have done uh, stuff for Action Medical. So I went through a period of going and working with with some big corporates, inspiring their staff to take part in order to to do triathlons. Um, and the idea was that they would do it either as an individual or as a team of three, uh, raising money for charity with a common goal, raising money and achieving a triathlon as a team. So um, over over the last 11 years in total, well, I say in total, um, again, without trying to sound cocky, but I, we stopped counting at about three million um, that we've raised for charities over that period of time. Um, but now my attention is turned to... Um, the Buffalo Foundation. So I'm a trustee of a charity called the Buffalo Foundation. And uh, currently we work with um, young people in townships around South Africa. Um, We give them extra extra educational, we give them um, inspiration, we get them riding bikes. Um, But I also do a lot with the Dave Rayner Fund in the UK. Um, And that is taking um, young people who have the ability, the potential ability to become pro riders. Um, and we give them an opportunity to go and race in Europe and, and around Europe to see if they've got that bit that it takes to become Grand Tour. Now, just going back to the Buffalo Foundation, um, the Buffalo Foundation was started by a couple of very good friends of mine. And I saw what they were doing down there and said, I want to be part of this, um, but I want to bring the program to the UK. And that was something that they had a passion for as well. So what we're doing with RAM um, at the moment and some of the other bits that we're, we're doing around RAM is the idea is that a lot of that funding from Race Across America, so around 75% of that funding, will come into the UK for UK projects. So we'll be setting up areas. Um, I would really like to set up a project at Canic Chase um, of where we'll have an academy in Birmingham. Um, and it will. the idea is that um, we take young people who perhaps are in disadvantaged areas say we take them, that sounds sounds probably a bit harsh, but we give young people in disadvantaged areas somewhere that they can go, where they can develop a role model, where they can develop the skills and they can use sport um, as as a route to um, education, entrepreneurialism. And actually, um, there's a young lad by the name of Nicholas Domini who won uh, King of the Mountains at the Tour of Britain in 2018 um, and he came from he came through hot chili uh, and which that was kind of the start of the Buffalo Foundation, really. And that kind of thing that we did there. So it's exciting and it's something that's very much needed. Um, you know, I, I see young people in schools from the talks and stuff that I've gone and done. And every every talk I would do in a school, I would sit there and say, 
or I'd, I'd stand there and say, who in this room has a dream, a goal or something that they want to achieve, something that they want to become? I don't need to know what it is. I just want to know who's got a dream or a goal or an ambition. And it would scare me that the lack of hands that would go up. It was scary. It, it genuinely, you know, these kids uh, 13, 14 that, that don't have a dream, you know, and that's, we should, we should all be worried about that really. Cause they're, they're the next generation. They're the ones that in turn at some point are going to be looking after us really. And I really think that we should be encouraging young people that they can have a dream. They can have a goal and actually that, there are networks out there to be able to support them. I don't want to go into it too much now, but I left school at 14 and was told I'd never achieve anything. You know, by the time, by the time I was 22, I'd got three houses and was running my own business. People used to knock my front door and they'd say, was your mum and dad in? I'd be like, no, no, this is, this is my house, (laughs) you know, and I pretty much lost all of that when I was ill. And I appreciate that what I had at that point in my time wasn't good. And I, I don't, I don't think I'd like that person if I met them now. Um, but that was what I thought I needed to do to be able to succeed and to be able to achieve things in life. I realized from what I've been through that you just need to be true to you. And actually by being true to yourself and following the dreams that you have, you will attract people around you that believe in you and that believe in your dreams and want to be part of those. And in turn, you can help fulfill their dreams and be there to support them. And it's not about it's not about doing what you need to do to be able to fit in. Just do what you do and you will find where you fit. Absolutely. Fantastic advice there. Um, and we're just going to wrap this up now with a, a couple of uh, bits of advice for, for listeners. You kind of touched on on one thing there, but I think listeners, that, that everybody has their own sort of um, situation. I'm sure there are a few people that are listening thinking that they may have felt hopeless in their situation before hearing your story, James. But they're, obviously, that's not always how depression works and that actually uh, anybody's situation can feel hopeless and it, it doesn't necessarily um, help to kind of have that comparison. So what would you say, uh, to, what would your number one piece of advice be for anyone who feels hopeless in their situation, regardless of what that situation might be? Um, I th- number one piece of advice, I think that's that's... I think that's a tricky question to answer with one piece of advice because I think there's a number of things that that need to that you need to consider within that really. Um, I don't want to go off on too much of a of a long one about it, but it, it kind of it's about are some of it is about are you happy? Um, what would make you happy? Um, and creating that trying to create that change, whether that's a small change or in some cases it has to be a big change, and it can be a real leap of faith. Um, I'm not sure that's a, a particularly easy question to answer. I, I still I still have moments now of where I feel hopeless. I still have moments now of where I feel that that I have no worth. Um, and I look around me and I see what we where we've got to. I look at my kids and I realize that I, I have to keep going for them. Um, I look at what my wife's put into it and I look at the belief that my friends and colleagues have in me you can sometimes feel that that's a cause of it. One of the main things that I, that I learn, um, and I'm thinking about this, this question as we're talking about it. One of the main things that I, that I learned was a, was a turning point, And that was being on the phone to a client and actually just coming out with it and saying, I really can't deal with what you need me to at the moment, because I really feel quite hopeless. I feel down. I've really been struggling to even get out of bed in the morning. And this guy turned around to me and went, okay, 
what you need to do is you need to take a couple of days to yourself, forget about this. And actually it was Nick Ruslings who, who owns human race. Um, and Nick came out with this amazing advice that, that I had at the time. And we just sat there chatting and we didn't talk about work. We talked about everything else other than, um, that was a turning point as well for me was actually just turning around and saying it and then being honest with people about how I felt. And I realized that actually there wasn't this big stigma around, wasn't so much of a big stigma around it. There is a big stigma around it. Um, but I was talking to people and I actually now still continue to keep those friendships with those people and work with them. And the ones that kind of, when I was get over it, I don't, I don't have anything to do with them anymore. Um, some of that was by choice. Um, some of that was just by things moved on and we went to another and we moved on to other things. Um, but one word of advice is, is difficult, but, keep going, believe in yourself, believe in what you've already achieved in life to get to where you are, the walking thing, the eating thing, the riding a bike, the swimming, you know, you've got to all of those points in your life. Now um, you can go further um, and do what's do, do what's best for you, not for people around you. Fantastic. I love that. I think that's a, an excellent way to, to close out James. So uh, thank you so much for, uh, for sharing your story with us and, um, uh, for all the inspiration and the uh, uh, encouragement and, and tips and advice. Thank you. And uh, quickly, uh, how can listeners find out more? Um, we're on social media. So I, just to, to reflect very quickly, I use the word we because I consider everything that we do as a very big team effort of everybody that's involved in it. So um, it is me that's on social media, but we is one step at a time. It's the people like you guys for having me on today um my sponsors my coaches my crew that that's that's the we they all bring into this so we're we're on social media uh we're on facebook james golding one step at a time uh we're on uh twitter which is james golding one uh instagram is jimmy the link uh and then on linkedin and, and various other platforms as well fantastic so this is can uh can check you out james it's been an absolute pleasure having you on mate thanks very much for having me and listeners, it's always great to hear from you. So if you've got any uh, comments, questions or suggestions, you can reach out via the Spoke Facebook group or uh, send us, uh, leave us a comment in uh, in one of the, uh, in whatever platform that you're on. Definitely, definitely remember to share this with your friends. And if you're not already, do subscribe because we're going to have uh, even more epic uh, content. And no doubt we'll have you back, James, because I'd love to hear more about uh, how your progress is coming on as you as you head towards uh, Race Across America, uh, which is uh, now, unfortunately, it's over a year away, isn't it? 15th of June next year. But we've got some other things in the pipeline between, um, between now and then. But uh, we'll talk to those um, once this little storm has passed us absolutely we'll definitely have you back on to talk about that again listeners thank you very thank much you. my name is pav brian i'm performance director and co-founder here at spokes and you've been listening to be spoked 